Welcome to You Can't Get to Heaven in a Miniskirt. I'm Jessica. And I'm Sarah. And if you'd like to follow us on social media, you can find us on Instagram and TikTok at Heaven in a Miniskirt and at Twitter at MiniskirtPod or go to our website at HeavenInAMiniskirt.com. And today we're going to talk about purity rings. Purity rings. Oh my God. I, I never had a purity ring, but I did sign a purity pledge at age 12 because you know when I when I was 12 I don't even think I knew the mechanics of sex but it was very important to uh, my youth leaders that I was you know committing to not doing anything sexual until marriage heterosexual marriage yeah oh of course (laughs) there is no other biblical marriage (laughs) just in case there's Gen Zers listening Christianity didn't always accept gay people parts of it still don't um did you do this like at a Baptist church? It was actually at a Baptist church camp. Oh, not, not the one that we worked at together. It was at a different one. And I was a camper. Oh. And yeah. And so my, my cabin leaders, they were camp, my camp counselors. They would have been probably like 15 or 16. And they're like, all right, girls age 10 to 12. We're all going to talk about, you know, the importance of, staying pure and saving yourself for your future husband and we all signed a little pledge like a little contract and then we folded it up and put it into a box and and that kept me pure till age 19. (laughs) that is disturbing but looking back at it's weird like if i was hanging out with 12 year olds i would be like okay so i really i really care about what you're gonna be doing with your body and you're only 16 and you're saying this to a bunch of 12 year olds like you're also also just a child have no exactly have no idea what's happening you don't even yeah that's actually interesting i have never as far as i remember i have never signed a purity pledge now that being said i have realized that i blocked a lot of memories and they're very like repressed so it's possible that i might have i definitely was pure and i didn't wear a purity ring but i wore lots of jewelry that had crosses on it so is that the same thing and we were you might have blocked this memory out but we were very cringy I remember in grade 10 we um there were four of us and we called ourselves club b because we were all virgins I don't remember that at all I still have pictures I was looking through old albums (laughs) and um we're we're doing like the sign v with our hands it's actually it's really really cringy oh my gosh so obviously people that are listening don't know us Sarah remembers everything and it's so embarrassing every time we get together she remembers the most cringy things including apparently club v so things i wish i could forget like honestly oh god wow club v is there there's pictures of us making a v with our hands yeah it's like sort of kind of remembering this anyway i can post them on the blog and like (laughs) color out the other people's faces yeah please do okay that's a really good idea okay we'll do that so look out for that guys (laughs) So I have a bunch of information on purity rings and basically how it started and the different purity ring movements, because there is more than one way that you could have gotten a purity ring when you were a a youth. And then we'll talk about, do they even work? Because there's uh, a lot of really great information on whether or not they even work, whether or not signing a purity pledge even does anything. So... I'm sure a lot of people that were raised in evangelical 
households, especially in the States, would have come across this more. I feel like this was a pretty American thing. It definitely infiltrated other countries, and there is proof that it they like legit went out to other countries to infiltrate and get teenagers in Europe to sign purity pledges and all of that, and obviously they infiltrated Canada. So purity rings, they're worn as a sign of chastity, obviously, and a lot of denominations do it, but I think the most commons are, are Baptist, evangelical. But who wears them? Who do we care about right now? What Which kind of human? Women? Women. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, sorry. Don't talk about the virginity of, like, men at Barely. all. Barely. Funnily enough, there, you know, we'll, we'll just pivot here because there were a bunch of celebrities. Do you remember this when we were younger? There were celebrities that used to wear purity rings and the Jonas Brothers used to wear them. So you're wrong. There are men <laughs> that would wear them, but apparently only three in the whole world because I have never heard of another man I had never, I've never seen a man wear a purity ring or really talk about purity the way that we had to talk about it when we were younger. Well, I think it would, the onus was all on women. Men, it was like avert your gaze from women and women. It was like, don't dress in a way that is going to convince men to look at you. Be the gatekeeper, right? Because men are animals and they cannot control their urges. And That is so gross. <laughs> It's really gross. I feel like men can control themselves. Let, let's give them a little, like, I don't like to give men too much credit, but let's give them just like a little bit. They can control themselves. Right? I think any human can take responsibility for their actions yeah. and to put them on someone else is like really, it's just, it's just plain wrong to put that on young girls. It's super fucked up. And as a kid, you're listening to these youth leaders and you're listening to these camp counselors that you had you know when you were 16 and they're telling you that you need to be pure and as a 10 year old child you trust everyone who's older than you the amount of stories that I've read and specifically to do with purity culture and purity rings because I just did so much research for this episode but I just felt like the internet is just story after story after story of women who signed a purity pledge who wanted to wear a purity ring who did wear a purity ring and they were just damaged by purity culture the guilt the shame and they're still grappling with that and like as a 30 year old I still have issues with sex you're not 30 just (laughs) (laughs) a 31 year old sorry See, I told you Sarah remembers everything. Such an asshole. I know you are. So as a 31-year-old, that one year makes a big difference, obviously. I still have issues with it. And I learned this stuff when I was 16 and got out of Christianity when I was 17, 18. Like, it's been many, many years. And it just, like, you start down this rabbit hole of, of shame that women write about. And it just opens all these doors. And there's so many books. And there's so many stories. And it's really alarming and upsetting. So obviously, as we go on with this podcast, we're going to talk about a lot of this stuff. So buckle the fuck up because it's going to be a ride. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about your research. Other than Jessica Simpson, I don't know a lot about purity. Oh, really? I don't even talk about Jessica. It's funny. I didn't. She was. Yeah. I mean, we can. We will. We'll talk about the celebrity portion of purity rings. But so it started in the late 80s and early 90s, actually, this purity movement and wearing purity rings it wasn't really 
talked about before the 80s, which is really interesting. Purity culture is so new. It blew the fuck up. I don't think that it was even really talked about before that. I think there is actually quite a few reasons for it, including the AIDS epidemic and abortion rights. And it kind of all just snowballed into this purity movement. And it's pretty birth control birth control it's all the things all of those things created purity culture and and thus purity rings and so it was mostly in the united states but again infiltrated a lot of other countries so there's two primary purity ring movements the more famous one is definitely called true love weights i don't know if you've heard of it it is yes okay perfect because it is something that comes across all the time in research But there is another one called the silver ring thing, um, which is also interesting. So I'll talk about that one first. It's definitely huge, but maybe not as big as true love weights. It is just a different type of movement. So the silver ring thing was founded in 1995. They actually are still around, but they're called unaltered. I don't know. They changed their name. They have more of a mission now than just purity rings. I don't really give a shit, (laughs) but they would go on tour and they would hold these huge events where teenagers would come and there would be a parent session and the teenagers would come and to accept Jesus into their hearts. Of course, of course, number one, must accept Jesus into your heart. And if you do that, you can also sign a purity pledge. So literally like you go to this arena and as you're going in, they size your finger so that when you leave, you'll know what size you are and they'll send sell you like a $20 like super shitty purity ring that is engraved with first Thessalonians 4 verse 3 to 4 and that reads God wants you to be holy so you should keep clear of all sexual sin then each of you will control your body and live in holiness and honor beautiful so it has that bible verse on it and I feel like this is just like some scheme to sell these rings that probably cost a dollar for $20. Like I feel like that's all this is. So they're actually, funnily enough, they were receiving funding from the government of the United States and ACLU sued the government in 2006 and being like, you can't fund religious organizations. And they won. We all know abstinence only doesn't work. Anymore. Yeah, I mean, like that is another... F- like that is still going on in the states that's still going on everywhere they fund that no problem but this actual specific church or this specific religious organization was receiving funding from the government they received i guess a million dollars overall now that's not a lot of money in the grand scheme of budgets but it's still gross and i'm glad that aclu did that so they did win and there it is on their website so that kind of made me giggle so when you go to the silver ring thing event you walk in there's a parent session and the parents sit down with one of the pastors or whoever speaker it is and they're like oh we're really worried about your children's virginity and we should all worry about your children's virginity like that it seems very bizarre that a lot of adults are sitting around being like yeah I'm gonna worry about my son's penis like I don't know like this is just not the way to do this for the actual event there's skits and there's music and there's preaching and then there's testimonies and the testimonies are all like oh I had sex and then I became a drug addict and homeless and then I found Jesus (laughs) 
So you shouldn't and have now sex. I'm born again virgin. And I'm getting married to the man of my dreams. Blah, blah, blah. So that's most of the testimonies, as far as I understand. Now, there is a really good Vice article about a guy that wrote for Vice and he went to one of these sessions and was like, I'm a person that wants to learn about this, but he was actually writing a Vice article. So I'll link that in the show notes because it is really funny. And that's what that is. So it actually reminds me of some events that we kind of attended as kids with like the skits and the music and the blah, blah, blah. Like those were fucking fun. So I can see a lot of kids walking out of there and being like, that was fun. That's because you got, you have like all the music, like the right ambiance and like, and the skits. It, It covers like some pretty serious topics. And I'm sure there were kids there that were probably far too young to be like considering you know, when they were going to start having sex or if they're going to start, they're going to wait. Cause I feel like that is, you know, you probably had girls as young as 10, 11, 12. Even like when I think about myself at age 15, I wasn't ready to have sex and I wasn't interested in sex. So it would have been really easy for me to go into one of these events and just be like, absolutely. I will sign this purity pledge. I don't know what this means. This means nothing to me. I don't want to do this anyway. And then maybe by the time I was 18, 19, ready to have sex, I felt I would have felt a lot differently about that. And I'm sure that happened to a lot of children because it's so easy to sign a purity pledge and say you don't want to have sex like you when you were 10, 11, 12 years old. Like, how hard is that? You don't even you don't want boy. Like, I was not interested in boys. Are you kidding me? I was not interested in having anyone touch me or like anything sexual like even kissing boys like we me and you we were not into that and that maybe that's why these youth events spoke so well to us however we were very young we were in our early teens but you might wonder too on the other end like the exposure like we weren't we weren't at those parties we weren't experimenting with things in our younger teens so I think a lot of people it's you know it's kind of the attitudes towards sex because if you're raised like in a sex positive environment, maybe you're more likely to explore it younger. I don't know. But what do you think it's like to be raised in a sex positive environment? <laughs> I can't oh, imagine what that would be like. <laughs> and it's funny Very because funny. my family wasn't that religious, but they were old fashioned enough that they were like, we don't talk about that. So it's not just religion that does that to people. No, I think that was a lot of, you know, that was a lot of parenting in the, in the 90s, it was like, okay, we're just going to depend on kids to, you know, figure this out when they learn it in school. So interesting, though, because you're going in, you're going into these events, and they're trying to, you know, witness to people and have people be born again, you know, classic altar call. But then they're like, okay, the one sin we're going to care about is sex. And I do, I can see how, you know, how the AIDS crisis, how that would have had a huge impact on kind of the the paradigm of the time because that was terrifying for a while it was this is like it's really sad but for a while when it was just primarily impacting gay men society didn't really give as many shits unfortunately and then when it started impacting heterosexual people that were obviously being a little bit more that were being promiscuous you had heterosexual people that were being promiscuous and then everyone got really scared because AIDS was very, very scary. Well, once it starts to affect the white straight people, that's when we worry, clearly, which is so fucked. 
But that makes sense. And then as soon as it starts affecting the white street people, then the Christians care. And then the Christians just put boots on the ground and started these movements. But I mean, the emphasis, obviously the emphasis on like pre-purity rings, obviously the emphasis on virginity and especially female virginity goes back for, you know, hundreds, thousands of years. Oh, absolutely. And that will be a total separate episode because this is like a, such a huge subject, but the purity movement itself is new. And it's interesting because most of the people that would be speaking at these events, unless it was divided into men and women, most of them would be men of course speaking about you're so right that is very good observation because i cannot even imagine being at one of these events and having a woman not that i (laughs) that's not a bad having a woman no having a woman talk about this because that's just not the way that it is it's always men (laughs) and they're over 30 and they're usually married and yeah and i don't think what from what i understand the silver ring thing events are not split up by gender. It is just everyone in an auditorium. So, so that's, that's silver ring thing. And they have those big events. Now, true love weights is a little different. So true love weights is more of an organization and it's sponsored by Lifeway Christian resources. Have you ever heard of Lifeway? I feel like I had heard of them. They're like a bookstore. Oh, okay. No, I haven't heard of them actually. They're mainly in the U.S., so it's like a brick. It sorry, it was a brick and mortar bookstore, but all their bookstores closed in 2019. But they are still very much active. It's a very conservative operation, as you. It will not surprise you that they are very conservative, and they sell only books that like agree with biblical doctrine. So they're not selling just any books. They're a bookstore, but they're only going to be selling Christian books by Christian authors supported by like focus on the family or oh yeah yes exactly so that is so true love weights is sponsored by them if you go to lifeway christian resources website this the true love weights is a sep a entire section of their website and they sell the workbooks and the books that youth pastors would teach to their youth groups so essentially there's all these different packages they can buy so the primary goal of their campaign of the true love weights campaign is to have young people commit and sign to the following pledge so this is the pledge it says believing that true love waits i make a commitment to god myself my family my friends my future mate and my future children that's a lot of fucking people to be sexually abstinent from this day until the day i enter a biblical marriage relationship so that's their pledge why children like do my like as a parent do my kids give any fucks about who i like it's so weird (laughs) imagine your girls growing up and they're like mommy mommy the thing i hate the most is the future mate the future husband the idea of the future husband is this idea that comes across a lot in on Instagram and on TikTok and on anything related to Christianity on social media. It's like, I'm writing letters to my future husband. I'm waiting for my future husband. It is just this idea that makes me feel so uncomfortable inside. And I cannot figure out why. I'm sure if we talk it through, we'll figure it out. But it's probably just a lot to do with how unrealistic this is. And it's it's such a romanticized view of relationships because 
that whole mentality of like, okay, I'm going to wait. And then it's going to be this amazing, beautiful, like functional thing. Like that negates all of the prior conditioning you've had in, in terms of like sex is bad. Sex is negative. Like women that wait till marriage a lot, like this is anecdotal. Cause I don't, I haven't looked up studies on this, but lots of women I know have really struggled with things like vaginismus, like just lots of guilt, um, you know, difficulty, like getting comfortable and opening up around sex because you know, when, when something is so negative your whole life and then you get married and it's like, all of a sudden it's fine. Like that doesn't, it doesn't magically fix it. How, how weird is that? No, it doesn't magically fix it. So moving on, they provide resources to youth leaders for youth leaders to use in their youth groups, like courses and books and like videos and things like that. Yes, yes, exactly. And so there's probably four or five different workbooks on their website. I, the newest one that they have is a book called Chasing Love by someone named Sean McDowell, who is a youth leader somewhere. He has an Instagram. It makes me so annoyed. His Instagram is just go check him out. I read the book. I read the whole book and I hated it so much. So the thing I hate about these books the most or the thing I dislike about these books the most is that I'm imagining my teenage self reading this and internalizing every single word and being like, this guy knows what he's talking about. Because you know, whoever's reading this or on his Instagram, they're looking up to this guy as their mentor. But they have him on a pedestal. Exactly. And I just feel really sad for my hypothetical teenage self reading this because it is a load of bullshit. It is so much crap. And what I'm going to do is send you quotes to read. So please hold. Okay. So this one's a really long quote. It's actually two, two quotes from the book. Okay. And I mean, I had pages of quotes from this book and was like, no, I need to focus here because there is so much to unpack. So I just felt like we should stay within the realm that we're talking about. So I will read the first quote. So we must remember that the sexual union merely foreshadows something far greater yet to come. As wonderful as it is, Sex anticipates the deeper fulfillment that all believers will experience with God and others in heaven. This doesn't mean that heaven involves endless sexual bliss, as some Muslims describe it. Oh my God. <laughs> it simply means that sexual union on earth is a pointer, an anticipation, a foreshadowing of a deeper union that we will all experience in heaven. Can you see why Satan is so intent on twisting the nature of sex? If he can confuse people about sex, he can confuse them about heaven. Whoa. Okay. I just had to make it through that quote. Okay. Wow. We can unpack this and then you can read the second one after. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my reaction to this is, I mean, I've heard, you know, that's the mystery of sex. Like they compare, obviously like marriage, which we will get into man and wife is compared to Christ and the church and the, the amazing union there and. So yeah, it's, it is considered, it's not just about reproducing. It's considered to be like a whole other spiritual level. It's not just about pleasure. It's about, it's about heaven, I guess. <laughs> it's about heaven. I just, I just can't believe the casual, like in brackets, the casual jab towards the Muslims I when you're like, no, uh, my jaw was on the floor and it was, yeah. So the quote again says, 
This doesn't mean that heaven involves endless sexual bliss, as some Muslims describe it. And, and that's in parentheses. Okay. It was so... I was like, I am so insulted right now. And I, I'm not Muslim. I'm not religious in any manner. But like, I don't know. It just felt so gross. It felt really gross reading that. Was that was that necessary? Yes. Was it even- <laughs> Was that a necessary jab? I think that this guy doesn't have a very good editor. A lot of the book feels like stream of consciousness. That's okay. what it feels like. Because you could honestly point out any religion. Like every religion has weird, not every religion, but a lot of religions have weird hangups about sex. Mm-hmm. So like, I mean, Christianity has plenty. Obviously they're comparing it to heaven and. Yes. Okay. Okay. So the is... next, go to the next quote. Okay. So the next Um, quote, I felt like really summed up the book. (laughs) Okay. In sum, the purpose of sex is threefold. Procreation, unity, and the anticipation of heaven. Understanding these truths and orienting our lives around them sets us free to experience love, sex, and relationships as God designed them to be experienced. So if anyone isn't clear on what he means in the last sentence relationships as god designed them to be experienced it is a marriage between one man and one woman for forever so no divorce no premarital sex absolutely no homosexuality (laughs) so those two quotes and now i had 50 from the book and i think that will break up that book again because he he decided he felt like talking about transgender people too and it was really fucking gross and he also decided he was going to talk about all sorts of things and so we'll be sprinkling in quotes throughout the next few episodes i'm sure but those were probably the two that summed up a lot of the satan marriage yeah yeah so procreation yes i can see it because you know you want a quiver full there's a bible verse that says you want as many children as possible so like a quiver full of arrows there is literally a cult a christian cult called quiverful we could talk about it someday and they have as many kids as possible that is the purpose of their cult so yeah so this clearly this um this man writing this book would not be really in favor of probably birth control definitely not abortion it's amazing how you mentioned birth control because there is a quote that I wasn't going to say, but I will now because it is specific. Okay, well, you have to now. Okay, quote, how effective are condoms in preventing pregnancy and STIs? Condoms help reduce the chance of pregnancy, but they do not eliminate it. The effectiveness of condoms depend upon factors such as consistent use, lack of damage, the kind of condom, and the frequency of sex. Roughly one in five teens using condoms become pregnant within one year. Condoms can help prevent transmission of some STIs, but herpes, gonorrhea, HPV, and other infections are spread through sexual contact not prevented by a condom, such as mutual masturbation, oral sex, and anal sex. Fucking citation needed. (laughs) That is my criticism. Where's your site? And also, one in five people will become pregnant within one year. Also, like, the problem with this and he does have a lot of information on condoms is that by telling these kids that condoms don't work they are never going to use a condom and they are going to have sex and also he failed to mention that other than abstinence the the most effective form of birth control is being a lesbian (laughs) or gay (laughs) god damn it sean how did you not know this yeah i know uh yeah i don't think that he'd be condoning that 
Yeah, it's funny, like the scare tactics, like the scare tactics that he has, like that, because he's like, oh, condoms, they're they're not protecting from, they only protect from these ones and not those ones. But it's like, okay, well, at least it's harm reduction here. We're not saying like condoms are fixing the world. We're just saying that people are gonna have sex and it's harm reduction. Well, what you're saying is logical, and I just feel like these books are for teens who maybe well aren't critical thinkers yet. So it's really easy to get teenagers on board with these ridiculous ideas that yeah well i guess if condoms don't work all the time then why would i bother using them at all you were raised catholic i was raised protestant evangelical so within within the protestant church you know like most women would get on the pill six months before they got married because then that's nice like it's very very well just so it would be effective like a few months before to let it kick in not the catholics so it was very like very normal to be like a young married Protestant woman that was on the on birth control, that was very acceptable. The morning after pill, no, because you know if you can't stop a zygote from implanting, like once those cells have fused together. So that that's his book. Now, True Love Waits. They have quite a few other books, and I feel like a lot of the things that I saw online about purity culture, a lot of the kids went through true love weights in some sort of way whether they went to an event or they were had one of these youth leaders get a workbook or they learned it at a summer camp or whatever but i think true love weights was the leading cause of fucked up (laughs) women adults who are now non-christian and have problems and even even christians like i know i know christians that regret their attitudes towards um, towards sex yeah like prior to marriage there are a lot there are lots of christians that are okay with having sex before marriage i feel like there has been a big cultural shift within or at least within i can speak to like baptist circles that's nice to hear i feel like i don't hear about that and i wish that i could they're also not directly embedded in christian culture still well i still i saw friends family you know people that are mm-hmm. and you've been you are always more embedded in the progressive christian culture it's so weird. I can't, I can't even imagine like, like we have, I have two daughters, you have a daughter. So like putting on the parent hat, like, could you imagine emphasizing that? I couldn't, I couldn't. I mean, your daughters are older than mine, but obviously they're still very young. And so I'm, I, I sometimes try to imagine how in the future I will bring up things like sex and, and alcohol and drugs and I would never tell my daughter that if she doesn't wait until marriage to have sex, that she is unpure. And that is the message that a lot of these girls were getting and still are getting. Like the purity ring movement is not over. It is still happening. And the message is also very toxic because it it emphasizes that, okay, virginity is the pinnacle of importance for you as a woman. And then if you have sex with a man and you're not in a committed marriage, then he is going to get bored of you and tired of you. So that is like your commodity to keep a guy around until he'll, he will commit to oh you. Oh my God, you're so right. Because I remember the the analogy they would say, they I remember them having like pieces of paper with a glue stick and they're like, okay, so imagine if you have sex, you're glued to that person. And then they rip the paper away and then they're like, look at this. There's all this other paper like hanging around. There's all like, do you think someone else... And so many dumb analogies. Do you think someone else would want gum that's already been chewed? Oh, what about, um, and I, this is a quote 
um, from a little girl that I read in an article and they, she said, so her quote said, I think your life is kind of like a flower. And every time you have a relationship or a boyfriend or something, you're taking a petal off your flower and giving it to that person. So you're giving all of these petals away. Pretty soon, you're not going to be left with anything to give your husband. A little girl said that. That's really gross. That makes me so sad. That is the message that they are getting from these organizations. And, And that's a really good segue into our next subject, which is purity balls. Those... Or those are, they make rings look normal. Like those are really fucking. They are really crazy. So purity balls are pretty much an American conservative thing. Mostly Southern. Yeah. I don't, I don't think like I never heard of any of them in Canada. In 1998, the first purity ball was organized by Randy and Lisa Wilson in Colorado Springs, Colorado. I don't know what the fuck is going on in Colorado Springs, but I've, seen that come up a lot and there's some shit going down there but they are formal events attended by fathers and their teenage daughters to promote abstinence until marriage so you know the girls get all dressed up in ball gowns and the fathers who attend the purity balls so they pledge they make a pledge to protect their daughter's purity of mind body and soul so apparently it's the father's responsibility to protect their daughter's virginity well, so when you're head of the household, you are responsible and accountable to to God for everyone, and that includes all the women and male children underneath you. The ages of the girls can range, so obviously it's usually early teenage years or when they're going to start menstruating. They actually use that. They're like, "Hey, when your girl starts menstruating, then bring her to a purity ball." That is in the handbook. There is a handbook. But <laughs> but <laughs> yes. Sometimes there's really really young girls there. Like six-year-olds like that does happen but I think from what I have read is that some of the balls actually have a minimum age requirement so they go to the ball there's a ceremony it includes a speaker the giving of a gift of remembrance so that is a big difference in purity balls is that there's the gift of remembrance which is typically some sort of charm bracelet or necklace and it usually has a lock on it and the father it like not an actual lock but you know the father keeps the key and then he gives it to her husband on their wedding day. Oh my God. I just can't. I just can't. Like that's, I mean, that is also like the creepy part of like giving away a woman on her wedding day. And she's now being transferred from her, uh, under her father's authority now to under her husband's authority. And yeah. So women are just just never free to be themselves. They're always under some sort of man's authority. After that, there's a waltz and then they dance. That sounds fun. That sounds better than all the other things. Yeah, there's like a dance. We like dances. So interestingly enough, so again, there is an article that I read from Glamour magazine, and I'll put it in the show notes. It seems like the parents really do mean well. Like the and I felt so I felt so bad kind of writing these notes and being like, these fathers are creepy. Cause when I read further into it, it's like these fathers, they they really think that they're doing a good thing. Like they really think that this will help their daughter have a better life in general and i mean they're if they're a christian and their desire is that their their child will follow god like regardless of son or daughter they would want them to be pure and holy and all the things that are that are listed in sean whatever's quote it's true though like that's what they would want sean mcdowell you didn't remember his name (laughs) so sometimes the dads actually haven't even heard about the ceremony until their daughters want 
to go. So sometimes it's actually the daughter instigating. And I could totally see that because as an early teenage girl, everyone's going to dress up. Everyone's going to dress up and we're going to a ball. We're going to a fucking ball and I'm going to wear a gown. Are you kidding me? I would do it. I don't care what I have to pledge. I'll pledge anything. I want to wear a gown. And a lot of those girls were probably not allowed to go to their own school dances, right? Mm -hmm. Or they were homeschooled or they were in Christian school. Yes. And a lot of them, I believe a lot of them are homeschooled. And so this is their way to do these things, to do it, go to a dance. Because who doesn't want to dress up and feel, you know, a young woman to feel beautiful and admired and... They so in you know in the father's eyes they see their daughter's sexual purity as something so precious, and it's so damaging, and it's really alarming. And I will say the founder of the purity balls, Randy Wilson, I'll give him just a just a tiny bit of credit. He says the most important part of the ball is to encourage fathers to be active in their daughters' lives, and the pledge is actually secondary. I don't hate it. Okay. I don't okay. hate it. I don't hate it. No. And he's acknowledged that the pledge can just heap guilt upon the daughters if they quote unquote fail. And that's really the only redeeming quality of the whole thing (laughs) is that the the guy who created them understands that there is a lot of shame if you quote unquote fail. And it's getting people to take a pledge that when they're really young, they can't uphold that kind of thing. I think it's good that you're like you're giving him credit because like having been like been someone that was like very deeply involved in the church like I was a youth leader you know I didn't leave the church till my early 20s and so I you know I probably passed down a lot of a lot of messages now that I would not pass down and that I would cringe and you know feel like guilty for projecting these values that I no longer have on younger impressionable children so I think that when someone is in that they're so deeply embedded in that worldview like it's it makes sense to you at that point and you're you think you're doing the right thing you know, like, absolutely. And like when I got mad at my friend for giving her, her uh, boyfriend a blowjob in grade 11, I thought I was doing the right thing. Like, wow. Yeah. Did. Okay. So you, okay. I need to hear the story. You had a friend who gave their boyfriend a blowjob. Yeah. And how did this go down? She didn't didn't tell me because she was scared that I'd be mad. And she was correct. (laughs) Ding, ding, ding. I was mad. And so when I, like, when I found out I was like, I was furious. I was just like, how could you not tell me? She's like, well, I thought you'd be mad that you'd judge me. And I was like, but like, but you're not supposed to do that. Like, you're not not supposed to get blowjobs. Like, penises aren't supposed to go in your mouth till marriage. And that is like in your brain. It's like, I cannot fathom that that is something that actually happens. And I was like, how could she, how could she do that? Like, why would she put herself in that position? It's funny. How old are you in grade 11? 16, 17 years old. And you're so embedded in this life that you're like, wait, people f- break the rules. Like when that happens, when you realize, oh my God, like I've been like, I thought that we had to follow these rules. These are the rules. And you're not really a critical thinker when you're that age. You cannot fathom that. anybody no, would do that. We, we promised each other, you, me, and a couple other friends promised each other the year before grade nine. <laughs> that if we ever found out that another friend was drinking, that we would tell our parents no! and all of us would. Yeah. And all of us got drunk by the end of high school. But I think like when you're in that mindset and not, I'm not trying to infantilize people that are like within Christianity. Absolutely not. But I think when something's your worldview, when you have deeply held beliefs and you see something that's not congruent with them, you're just like, what the fuck? Like, that's, that's awful. Like you can't, you can't imagine it. 
And I think the, the, the interesting part of like having gone through being a Christian and now not being a Christian is like, I think I'm maybe more sympathetic to Christians sometimes. Cause I can understand their points of view. Cause like I was that person that was pissed off because someone gave her boyfriend of two years a blowjob. Like, <laughs> so I'm going to continue on with purity balls. Yes, please do. Because we love getting off topic, but we're going to kind of stay on track. We're kind of on topic. So the Glamour article that I was talking about, it details a specific purity ball that this person attended in the southern U.S. And they mentioned that a lot of the girls are typically from very sheltered Christian families, and most of them are homeschooled. Um, And this is a quote. It's very interesting. So the quote is, the roles are clear. Dad is is the only man in a girl's life until her husband arrives, a lifestyle straight out of biblical times. In patriarchy, a family owns a girl's sexuality, notes psychologist and feminist author Carol Gilligan, PhD. And like any other property, he guards it, protects it, and even loves it. So gross. I don't think I would be comfortable if I was at a purity ball and my father saw me as a piece of property. (laughs) Oh yeah. And I honestly, I can't, like, I can't imagine that. Cause even like, even though I grew up within like structures of church that were, that could be like definitely sexist and patriarchal for sure at times. Like that was definitely, my parents were definitely pretty equal and like my gender was never, was never something that would limit me. And there were not like pre-prescribed roles for what I was supposed to do compared to like my brother. I think that is a, a major advantage. And I think, so that's when when I saw a lot of the gendered stuff in church when I was a teenager, that's actually like what got me starting to question Christianity. And I think, I think before, cause it was never really like mentioned and it was not like something that I ever really saw mm-hmm. with my own family that I was kind of just like, Oh, like, what's this? Like, why are all these verses in the Bible about like men being the head of women? And someday we will be good at podcasting and stay on a subject, but for now you're coming along for the ride. So my next subject actually was about celebrities and purity rings. I didn't do a lot of research because all I wanted to do is just ask you what you knew about celebrities and purity rings. And you said you knew about Jessica Simpson having a purity ring. And there there must it. be someone else now. Like I'm trying to think. I, okay. So from what I understand, there really isn't like, aside from like Christian specific celebrities, which is like, it, I, I'm talking more like mainstream celebrities. There is, hasn't really been anyone recently it was definitely a huge thing back in like the early 2000s i feel like like miley cyrus the jonas brothers all wore purity rings and i believe they've all renounced that i think specifically joe jonas has come out and talked about it and nick jonas i don't know kevin kevin doesn't talk about shit he's like the lowest tier of jonas brothers so their father was a pentecostal pastor and they were raised pentecostal Oh, they weren't just baptized in water. They were baptized in the Holy Spirit. That's like a whole other level of deconditioning. That is a whole other level of baptism. (laughs) So they were raised Pentecostal. So that's why they had purity rings when they were like 12, of course. And then they were like, just kidding. I want to have sex. And then they had sex. And now they're married. Great. But they obviously had sex before marriage. So most celebrities that had purity rings, like even like Selena Gomez, like they all don't wear purity rings anymore because that's what happens they were all like 13 when they said that right like jamie lynn spears was also was also waiting for marriage oh we it's just weird that we that like christian culture in general 
values people hire if they are like if before they're married like if they're a virgin like that is like that adds to your character like oh that person's waiting purity equals value value worth and if you know if it's if it's like you know pumped up to be all these things then of course you know of course you want to be a part of that yeah that's fucked so we're going to talk about do they even work do purity rings even work tell me and what other issues arise from it so before we dive into the actual science because they're science what are your opinions nope <laughs> just a, a flat old no like honestly i i mean again anecdotally people i've seen that would have signed those pledges i just think it's impossible to say at age 12 how you're going to actually view the world as an adult with a fully developed brain and you know that you're you change over time and so that's that's a big promise to make that's a big decision to make and it so yeah i think i think you're very naive at that age and so i I think that once someone gets into a situation where either they're feeling comfortable with their body and they want to experiment sexually or they're with someone they love and that's, you know, that's a way that they're connecting with the person. I think that it's just totally different if you're in the situation. So I think a lot of people, even people that are Christian, slip up and have sex and they feel really freaking guilty about it. Yeah. So no, I would say that definitely, like definitely, I don't think that they work. And I think that it would, like we know abstinence only education doesn't work. And I think it would lead to a lot of other, just a lot of other issues. Yeah. So there is a study and it's called the National Longitudinal Study of Adolescent Health. And this study comes up a lot if we're talking about virginity. And it started in 1995 and it followed 20,000 adolescents, I believe, just in the United States. And they have done several waves of it. So they have followed them since 1995. And then they think they most recently followed them, I believe in 2016. So the data is pretty up to date and it's a massive study and it talks about a lot of things. However, a lot of studies use the data from this to draw conclusions on whether or not abstinence only education works and if purity rings work. So there is a study that I will be linking in the show notes, but it's called After the Promise, the STD Consequences of Adolescent Virginity Pledges. Found that while those who took the pledge were less likely to be in situations that gave STIs, their infection rate did not differ from non-pledgers. Surprise, surprise. They think it's because the pledgers were less likely to use protection. And they use the data from that national longitudinal study. So, quote, this is the quote from the actual study itself. So, quote, results. Pledgers are consistently less likely to be exposed to risk factors across a wide range of indicators, but their STD infection rate does not differ from non-pledgers. Possible explanations are that pledgers are less likely than others to use condoms at sexual debut and to be tested and diagnosed with STDs. Conclusions. Adopting virginity pledges as intervention may not be the optimal approach to preventing STD acquisition among young adults. Exactly as we predicted. STD rates are the same because... The ones that do go fuck aren't using condoms because Sean McDowell told them that (laughs) everybody gets STDs if they use condoms. There was other studies. So Hannah Bruckner of Yale and Peter Behrman of Columbia reported in the Journal of Adolescent Health that 88% of purity pledgers had premarital intercourse. Premarital intercourse. (laughs) I cannot talk. This 2001 study was a follow-up to their earlier report on surveys they conducted throughout 1994 and 1996 at the height of the purity pledge movement. 
I sound like I'm a newscaster. Responses revealed that while pledges did delay sexual initiations in younger teens by 34%, once they did engage, they were one-third less likely to use protection. That is not surprising. From all these studies that I've read, it sounds like maybe it did delay sexual intercourse. Like, you know, for us, we... I didn't have sex until I was 20. Wasn't really interested in sex until I was like 18. And I think a lot of it was because of these purity pledges and the idea that being pure was the way to be. And I just like wasn't ready for sex anyway. So it is impossible to say whether or not I would have had sex at the same age, whether I went to church or not. Because I think a lot of it was because I just didn't care. I wasn't interested. And church really made me feel better about that and I I don't know if that's good or bad because then it also gave me a lot of guilt yeah so the benefit would be delaying I like I don't think it's a horrible thing to delay sexual intercourse a bit because you know the risks involved but however a lot of them didn't use condoms so yes we should delay sexual intercourse until we're ready but we should also use protection Yeah, and I guess when someone's ready, that can vary. Yeah. I actually think that is it. That's all I have. It's a wrap. I think one thing I do want to mention, though, is that before we wrap, is that... Wrap your dick. Wrap your dick. (laughs) Wrap your dick. (laughs) It's funny. (laughs) I want to end on that note so bad. So bad. But I really want to talk about one last thing, and that is informed consent and that when you tell your children not to have sex before marriage and that it makes you unpure if you end up in a situation that you're not consenting to you cannot understand what is happening to you because you have no education and that is so disturbing to me and a lot of stories that I've read has a lot to do with that because you are easy pickings for predators when you have not been educated on these things. And even the attitude of it when you go to a church leader. Like, I remember when I had been been assaulted at, you know, as like a late teen and having that experience and then going to my church leader and saying, like, this happened. And he was like, you need to pray for forgiveness as well because you because you were drunk. And so you put yourself in that situation. No, no. Yeah. And I. And to be fair, like, I don't, I don't think everyone would have that response, but like, I, I, I think you're giving people too much credit. Welcome to Storytime with Sarah. Sit back, relax, and enjoy a story from our favorite book, the Bible. All right. So welcome to the first Storytime with Sarah. In this part of the podcast, we are going to be looking into the Bible And I will usually try to bring a story that somewhat relates to the topic of the podcast. It might not always relate, but this is a a fun little segment where you all get to hear a story. I hope that we can do this every podcast episode. I think there's enough stories in the Bible that we could probably pull this off. Oh, we got we got more than enough stories like and so we will be reading the message translation. Some people say it's a paraphrasing. Doesn't matter. I think that it it talks in it words things in modern day English. That's why I like it. It's much more accessible to people, and it doesn't sound like we are from the Shakespearean period. So 
BibleGateway.com. So right now we are going to be, if you want to turn your Bibles to Luke 1, uh, 26 to about 38. Everybody open your Bibles. We'll wait. We'll wait for you to grab it. Yeah, you can you can pause it if you're going to be... <laughs> <laughs> rooting around in your room under your bed looking for your old dusty bible <laughs> or you can or you can just listen because i'll be i'll be pretty much reading it so basically god sent the angel gabriel to the galilean village of nazareth to visit a virgin and she was engaged to be married to a man that was descended from king david so she's engaged to joseph and her name is mary so mary is lying in bed just a 12 to 14 year old girl lying in bed, minding her own business, and Gabriel shows up. Good morning. You're beautiful with God's beauty, beautiful inside and out. God be with you. Mary's response. She was thoroughly shaken, wondering what was behind the greeting. So fair enough. If I was, you know, a a young teen just lying in bed in the early hours of the morning and someone came into my room and was like, you're beautiful inside and out. I'd be really shake, shaken up too. I'd be really scared. I'd be like, what is happening? At this, point, at this point in the story, does she even know that's an angel or does she just think it's some random dude in her room? Um, hard to say, but then it says the angel assured her, Mary, you have nothing to fear. God has a surprise for you. You will become pregnant and give birth to a son and call his name Jesus. He will be called the son of the highest the lord will give him the throne of his father david he will rule jacob's house forever no end ever to his kingdom and mary said uh but how i've never slept with a man i haven't had sex like she's probably just started her period you know she's quite young and the angel answered the holy spirit will come upon you and the power of his highest hover over you therefore the child you bring to birth will be called holy son of god then they also add in about how her cousin elizabeth is pregnant right now and she's old and she's six months pregnant and nothing's impossible with god so if we're comparing a virgin conceiving to someone who had fertility issues conceiving a little bit different in my opinion but mary mary seems convinced so she says yes i see it all now i am the lord's maid ready to serve let it be with me just as you say and then the angel left her. So fair enough. To Mary's credit, you know, if you are 12 to 14 years old, uneducated, someone shows up in your room and is like, you're going to be pregnant by God. I can like I can't imagine her having another response. So then she runs to her cousin, the one that had fertility issues and that God got helped get pregnant. She ran and she was like, uh, I'm going to get pregnant. I just saw an angel. And then and then Elizabeth, her cousin, was filled with the Holy Spirit and said how she was blessed among women and her womb was blessed. Got to have a blessed womb. And then <laughs> so Mary is like dancing. She's all excited. I'm the most fortunate woman on earth. And she's singing praises to God. And then I want to get to Joseph's reaction because I like Joseph's reaction. Okay, so... So his mother, Mary, as you know, so we, we've jumped over to Matthew 1, starting at verse 18. So we know that Mary is engaged to be married to Joseph. And before they got to enjoy their wedding night, Joseph finds out she's pregnant. He didn't know that it was by the Holy Spirit. And so Joseph, he wanted to just kind of end things with Mary really quietly. 
and he was trying to figure out a way to end things and you know not get wrapped up in that that whole mess because he knew that he hadn't slept with her and another angel came but this time it was in a dream and the angel was like don't hesitate to get married to Mary. still do it the the pregnancy is conceived from the holy spirit and she's gonna have a son and you're gonna name him jesus and he's gonna save people from their sins essentially joseph woke up and he did exactly as commanded he married mary and he did not consummate the marriage until she had the baby so they did not sleep together until baby jesus came into the world some people though i think a lot of catholics believe that joseph and mary just never ever had sex ever she's always the holy virgin always the holy virgin so this is where this is where if we're going to go Baptists or Protestants versus Catholics, we think that Mary and Joseph had sex just after. Are we going to are we going to are we going to have like a, a showdown right now? Catholics love the Virgin Mary. It's like that's their person. I think they kind of like I sometimes think they love Mary more than they love Jesus. I really, really do. They there's statues of her everywhere. They pray to Mary. See, that was a big when growing up Protestant. A lot of the time it was like, ooh. The Catholics idolize Mary because they pray to her and the other saints. So that was a big thing. Like people would be like, are Catholics even Christians? <laughs> <laughs> but it's interesting that her virginity would be so esteemed by one of the largest, you know, one of the largest denominations within Christianity that like the virginity is so central and so contested between religious groups. It just shows you how how purity is so important. What does her virginity say about her worth to catholics like it 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 tells us in catholicism that just because she never had a penis in her then she is better than you how does it how does it make you a better human if you haven't had sex or what you do with your genitals i think that is the main point and it's so interesting how women's virginity for so long has been something that people want to control so that is the end of our purity ring episode and stay pure or wrap it up wrap it up that's a wrap <laughs>